0: What happens, John, and I don't want to get too technical here, but leukocytes of lonely participants and leukocytes are the white blood cells that play a real key role in the immune system. uh, These go down because our body thinks when we're alone, we don't need an immune system to fight off viruses or any type of attacks. So our immune system goes quiet. And so we're much more susceptible to contracting some type of virus like the coronavirus. So just being lonely, feeling lonely makes us more susceptible to that which we are actually locked away from right now.
1: I don't wanna share someone else's thoughts. I wanna create my own original thoughts. I wanna create my own original solutions. I wanna look at situations and come up with my own phrasing, my own words and do it my way. This is the John Taffer Podcast. Shut it down. And I am John Taffer. Hello, everybody. Well, it's my 25th day in quarantine. Welcome to the John Taffer Podcast. This is a very special podcast. Last week, we had Guy Fieri, who was unbelievable spending time with Guy, and we talked about the future of the restaurant and the hospitality industry. And it was a great discussion. I'm sure most of you heard it and saw it. But today, I wanted to really focus on the fact that that how do we deal with this? Now, I've been home now for 25 days. I'm like everybody else. I have highs and lows. Uh, uh, I work all day long and I'm excited because my adrenaline is going and I've got something to do and something to look forward to and I'm working on a process and I have things to do tomorrow and the next day. And then every afternoon, when I stop work, I come down and reality settles in. And I get concerned that I get low spots and, and just like we all do now. And this is a difficult time for us. And I'm looking at the things that I'm doing to keep busy. And I'm, by, I'm here with my wife, Nicole. I'm here with my two doggies. Uh, what about people who are alone now? And some of you are. You're sitting alone in an apartment in New York City on the 30th floor, or you're sitting in a place where you're not with someone, and you're alone. And, and I wanted to focus on how we're coping with this today. And when I thought to myself, who could I talk to who I really respect as a medical background, psychological background, and can really help me and help us understand how is the best way to cope with this? Do we do it a day at a time? Do we think it's long-term and we're whittling away? Should we watch news at night or not? What stories should we do? Should we be talking to people? Should we not be talking to people? How can we make ourselves feel better do this? And how do we deal with the challenge of time? And when I thought about this and thought of myself, I said, who would I call for advice right now? Well, I'm very fortunate. Dr. Phil McGraw is a very good friend of mine. Phil and I have got to spend a lot of time together over the years, and uh, uh, I know his wife, Robin, very well. His son, Jay, is business partners with me, and and I'm very close to to Phil and Jay. And when I thought to myself, who is the one person whose advice about coping with this, dealing with the time, dealing with the struggles, who would I want to listen to most? Well, over my years of knowing Phil, not as a TV star, as a man, and as a doctor, he's my go-to, he's my guy. In a crisis situation, Phil has dealt with it all. And he really does understand physiologically and psychologically what we all are going through now. So I called Phil and I said, will you do me a favor? I wanna get you on my podcast. There's a lot we have to talk about. Well, he said, sure. So today I have Dr. Phil on. We're gonna have a very special interview in a few minutes. But before I do that, I wanna talk about resetting America for a moment. This pandemic is gonna end. It's going to end in a few short weeks. Phil is going to give us some predictions on when it's going to end in a few minutes. And when it does, what are you going to do to reset? Businesses are going to have to change. We're going to have to communicate differently. I think the number one marketing objective for any business in America, when we come out of this pandemic, is one simple word, trust. You see, I don't think you're going to go where the best burger is. I think you're going to go where you trust that company to produce it clean and safely. I don't think you're going to pick restaurants because it's more beautiful than another. I think you're going to pick a restaurant because you trust it more than another. I think the companies that you deal with are going to be generated primarily by trust. And I think trust is based upon transparency, seeing what these companies are doing, building trust in the way that they do it. I think the future of America after this pandemic ends is much more about not what we do, but how we do it. And the companies that do it well in a way that builds trust through transparency and proper communications are the ones that are going to succeed. I've been on a lot of news shows the past week doing my forecasts of spacing of restaurants, spacing of location-based entertainment. I'm concerned that the capacity might go down 20, 30, 40, 50% when we start spreading and removing seating and providing configurations for people that create social distancing. I'm really worried about these things. So I've been predicting what I think is going to be consumer behavior, and I've been predicting what I think is going to be the way companies are going to have to act after this pandemic to win back customers and win back trust. But I'm not a psychologist, and I'm not a psychiatrist, and I'm not necessarily the one who has the real knowledge about what do we think is going to happen. When this ends, are people just going to run back to normal life? Are they going to ease it? Are they going to do it at all? So. I want to check my own intuitions. I want to check what Phil says. Because to me, Phil can give me a great interpretation of how do we get out of this? And are my perceptions correct? Does he agree with me? Will we get into spacing? Will business capacities go down? How does that affect our business model? And how does that affect you? What kind of job are you going to have when this is over? Well, maybe rather than waiting tables, you'll be delivering food. Who knows? There are going to be shifts that will make to match the marketplace of today. But what are the shifts that you need to make personally? How do we get through this wise? How do we get through this in a way that maintains our health, and I don't only mean coronavirus, maintains our health in other ways, our emotional health as well as our physical health. How do we get through this in a way that sets us up for the reset and allows us to really position ourselves mentally and do the work now? that we need to do so when this ends, we are ready to go forward with our lives in a way that matches the new state of society. Well, that's what I wanted to talk to Phil about. And there's so much to talk about. What do we have to look forward to when this is over? How does this happen? How do we act as consumers? What do we need to do as business owners to change and get customers back? And most importantly, what do we have to do individually? How does this change? The way I go about getting a job, does that change? The kind of job that I get, does that change? If there's less employees, I need to be more noticed. I need to step out more. I need to employ, dare I say, reaction management skills to make certain that I get ahead in this new reset. When I come back, I'll be with Dr. Phil. We're gonna have a very powerful discussion. We're gonna focus on the questions that you have and we're gonna focus very much on getting through this and what it looks like on the other side. I'll see you in a minute with Dr. Phil. Don't shut down this podcast.
0: John Taffer will be right back.
1: Support for this podcast comes from Goldman Sachs. What do Goldman Sachs experts and leading thinkers have to say about trends shaping markets, industries, and the global economy? Stay informed with the latest insights from Goldman Sachs on the economic and market implications of COVID-19. Available on our podcast at gs.com slash COVID-19 or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Well, those of you who know me well know that I have a, a good friend in, in Phil McGraw and, and we're good buddies. We've known each other for a long time, Phil. We've got to spend a good amount of time together over these years and it was important to me that I had you on this podcast, not as a TV star, but as I think one of the greatest advisors who could help us all get through crises at this time. So I thank you for being here, buddy, and for spending some time with us.
0: Well, thank you, John. I appreciate you having me. Are you in uh, Vegas?
1: I am. I'm on day 25 of my lockdown uh, here <laughs> in the house. And, and uh, you know, it, there's rough times, which I wanted to talk to you about a little later, you know, going through this whole crisis, but you and Robin have been unbelievable these past few weeks, watching you guys on social and and the messaging that you're sending and, and you know, your desire to help people, Phil, really shows every day. And I've been watching. Well, thank you. And it's helped me quite a bit. Well, thank you. How many days have you been home?
0: Well, let's see. We got um, we got sent home on the um, from Paramount. They pulled the plug on us the 20th. We had been shooting that week, and they said um, it was before the lockdown, but they said we're going to have to shut the shows down because, you know, I've got like 300 people on my staff, and then we were yeah. bringing in. We have 250 people in our audience, and we were doing two shows a day, three days a week. So there's an awful lot of people in the small space. And while I didn't want to have to shut down, I 100% agreed with their decision to do so.
1: Yeah. So it's obviously a difficult situation. And I've been in your studio. Many of the people that work for you have worked for you for 20 plus years. You don't have any turnover.
0: No, we don't. And uh, everybody was willing to do whatever necessary. You know, we shot for a week with no audience and then the plan was to have everybody work from home, but then um, at the studio and they said, no, we're going to shut the studio down. And, you know, John, they said, we're just going to shut all the shows down. And Robert and I talked about it. And this just seemed like the worst time in the world uh, for Dr. Phil to go away, because Boy, I think I right now, I think right now this is the biggest challenge that collectively as a country we faced since 9-11. And I thought, this is the worst time in the world for me to disappear. That This is what I do.
1: Boy, do I, boy, do I agree with that. So you've been trying to do it through social media and other channels.
0: Right. And we've been shooting our shows from home here. And uh, we've shot a couple of shows a day, three or four days a week, ever since we've uh, been sent home. And I got a one-person crew here at the house with Robin <laughs> and then my, my staff has been working from home, through Zoom and things like that. So we've been getting the shows out. They're not as pretty, but the message is there,
1: and that's what's important is to get the message out there. It's funny that you say that because Robin is now your producer. Nicole is now my producer. Exactly. <laughs> so, so she set all this up, and it, it's it's amazing to still be able to get the message out. You know, what Phil, would we do without him? Absolutely. So you know what when we were talking about that last time we were together on your podcast about standing in shadows. And they do that quite well, but Phil, you know, uh, I've had issues coping, and you know, it's been a difficult thing for me. And I'm home alone, and and I have a new doggy that we rescued, which is, of course, adding some joy to the home. Of course, you know that well. And, and uh, I find that when I work all day, my adrenaline gets going. I'm working. I'm productive. I'm doing something. And then every afternoon, when that work ends man, I get into this low spot and I start thinking about the situation around me and I wonder if other people aren't feeling this. So I wanted to ask you a few questions and, and I was going to ask you to help me cope and help other people cope through this. Couple of questions and then I'll let you go on. Do you think of this as day-to-day or do you think of this as long-term to get through it? <clears throat> What's the best way to go at something like this?
0: Well, you know, I think everybody's different, but... I think the biggest challenge people have in coping with it right now is the unknown. You know, if you tell somebody, we're going to do this for 18 days or 18 weeks, whatever it is, then I think people can say, all right, I'm going to steal myself to this. It's like painting painting a black wall, white. They can see the progress as they mark off the calendar days. But when there are so many unknowns that's very stressful to people we you know we like organization we like predictability and right now there are so many unknowns and that creates stress and when we have stress our sympathetic nervous system takes over norepinephrine starts secreting and we get into our fight or flight reaction and the problem is the fight or flight reaction was designed to last for a few seconds for a minute, and we've been we've got people that have been in that state of arousal now for weeks and weeks and weeks, and that starts to take a toll on us uh, physiologically and I'll talk about that in a little while, but I mean it really starts to erode our health. So Phil, what kind of physiological things happened in that case? Well, there are two let me talk about this in a couple of different ways, and interestingly one of the ways that has a profound effect that people don't think about is loneliness. Loneliness in and of itself is a very stressful situation. And there have been a number of studies that have been done about the effects of loneliness. And uh, when, when people are lonely, and by lonely, I'm talking about a lack of encouragement from family or friends, being by yourself, uh, where you're in an apartment, your four walls, you just don't have the normal human contact that you're used to. <clears throat> there was a study done in 2016 at Newcastle University, and they found by following people across time that there was a 30% increase in the risk of stroke and coronary heart disease among people that were lonely. I mean, think about that. A 30% increase in the risk of stroke and coronary heart disease. It shows how
1: social we are as a species and how important that
0: is. We are social animals. Uh, Florida State University College of Medicine did a study. 40% increase in a person's risk of dementia. That was published in the Journal of Gerontology. For people that are at risk, they're in that age bracket a 40% increase in risk of dementia. Uh, Functional limitations go down. And what happens, John, and I don't want to get too technical here, but leukocytes of lonely participants, and leukocytes are the white blood cells that play a real key role in the immune system, uh, these go down because our body thinks when we're alone, we don't need an immune system to fight off viruses or any type of attacks. So our immune system goes quiet. And so we're much more susceptible to contracting some type of virus like the coronavirus. So just being lonely, feeling lonely makes us more susceptible to that which we are actually locked away from right now. So I'm blessed.
1: You and I are blessed. We have You have Rob and I have Nicole with me. What about that person alone in a 30th floor in an apartment in New York? So they really are challenged by this.
0: Well, they are challenged by it. And then let's add to that. Let's add to that the fear of catching this coronavirus and contracting COVID-19. So you've got that pressure. Now you've lost your job. There's economic collapse all around you. You have the unknown. Are you going to get through this okay? Is the world going to be the same? So you have all of that stress and pressure. So now that's when the sympathetic nervous system kicks in. And when that happens, we've now got studies that show us that once you're in that state of adrenergic arousal, where you stay that aroused all the time, people are 32% more likely to die. And, and let me tell you what will change that. Even looking at the picture of a loved one can make people in pain feel that pain less intensely. Pro-social behavior, like volunteering, helping a neighbor, curbs all the physical symptoms of stress. So if we, we are social animals, so if we start reaching out to others and giving away that which we need the most, it starts to heal us from the
1: inside out. So there are things we can do. So when people say things like I'm calling five friends a day, you know, I'm FaceTiming with my grandchildren every day. These are exactly the kind of exercises that in essence would, would solve Mm -hmm. this.
0: Exactly. If you feel lonely and you, you think, well, I wish I had somebody to talk to then be somebody for your neighbor to talk to. You know, you can go down to the corner, knock on the door, Of maybe an elderly person lives on the corner, knock on the door and step back to maintain social distancing and say, you don't know me, but I live a few doors down. And I just know that you live here alone. And I just wanted to come say hi and see if you need anything. I'm going to the store. Can I pick something up for you? I'm a stranger. So you probably don't want to give me your phone number, but here's mine. If you would like to call and talk, I I would love to visit. I don't know if you have FaceTime, but here's my FaceTime. If you would like to talk, I would love to listen. Just visit. Can And maybe you're out mowing your yard and you look down there and there's just a little long, roll your mower down there and mow their yard. I mean, just little things like that can make a huge difference in the way you feel and the way they feel.
1: That's really powerful, Phil. And, and it's, it's a great inspiration for somebody just to go down the street or call that neighbor down the street and, and interact in that way. I'm going to do that tomorrow myself. I have somebody in mind that I can do that with.
0: So you know, when for- I was in graduate school, Robin and I lived in a little cracker box house in Denton, Texas, and we had a neighbor uh, that was a grave digger. Actually, that's what he did for a living. And I was studying all the time. And I would look outside and he would be mowing his yard and he'd get to the driveway and he'd just keep going across the driveway and mow our yard. And I come out and say, what are you doing? And he said, I know you're studying. Just keep going. Just keep doing what you're doing. And the guy mowed our yard for like a year. I felt terrible, but he just wanted to do it. And you know, he's, it, it's been 40 years. He's a
1: friend today. Wow, That's a great story. And Those are the people that touch us and we never forget those people. So do you watch the news at night before you go to sleep? Do you have any rules about what you see and and how you expose yourself to different information during the day?
0: You know, I really do. And I recommend that people follow a a pattern of this, you know, John, nobody, you you never turn the news on and they say today at third and main, nothing happened (laughs) (laughs) that they don't put that on the news. So, you know, you're going to get a biased report. They're going to tell you something that, is a figure against the background of the humdrum day they're going to tell you how many died how many times have you turned on the news and they said here's how many people have recovered from this virus that just doesn't happen Uh, the truth is that there have been several hundred thousand reported cases of recovery worldwide but they don't report that and so and I'm not saying that they're being inaccurate. They're just being selective in what they report. So I, I suggest that people choose the least spun, the least political resource they can find, source they can find, and check in in the morning, see what's happening maybe for 15, 20 minutes, and then check again maybe around 5:30 or 6. And the rest of the day, you need to get on with the other parts of your life. Maybe you're homeschooling your children. Maybe you're working from home. Maybe you're reorganizing your closets. But get on with the rest of your life. Don't obsess with this
1: hour after hour after hour. You know, I found in the beginning I was obsessed with it, and I watched the news all day long. Now I've cut it back. I update myself in the morning, fill, and then I try to go about my day and not <clears> watch it at night. That seems to work uh, much better for me. Let you me have. say something about
0: kids, if I can, while we're on this media thing, John I was just going there. <laughs> Great. I, you know, I learned a lesson and I, I should have known this, but I didn't. Uh, but when nine 11 happened, um, I was doing the Oprah show at the time and they still had all the planes grounded and Oprah called and said, I'm going to figure a way to get you from Dallas to Chicago, because we're going to do a show with you, me, and the first lady, Laura Bush. Because I think we need to speak to the nation. And I said, okay, we did. And we had a bunch of children there from Chicago. These were grade school children, lower school. And as we sat there talking to them and interviewing them, those children told us that they thought all of the buildings in the United States had been knocked down. And I said, wait a minute, I, I was hearing this as they were telling us, and I said, whoa, whoa, what do you mean? And they kept saying, well, you know, they've knocked all the buildings down. And I said, no, no, wait a minute. They've knocked two buildings down. What do you mean? And they all thought all the buildings had been knocked down because every channel they turned on, buildings were being knocked down. There were different camera angles on different channels, different viewpoints. They all thought all the buildings had been knocked down in the entire country. And they were terribly upset. And this is because parents weren't watching the news with them. They weren't interpreting it for them, and they were left to their own devices. So I can only imagine what children are thinking right now when they're hearing pandemic, quarter of a million will die worldwide, body bags in the hallway, digging mass graves. What must children think if their parents aren't watching the media with them and limiting what they see and hear?
1: Wow, well, that's really powerful. You know, you have some beautiful grandchildren. What are you doing? Are you FaceTiming with them? How are you keeping in touch <clears> with family? What is your route? And do you do it every day? And how do you communicate with your grandchildren? Well, we, we talk
0: to them a lot and we FaceTime with them. Robin is the quintessential grandma and we FaceTime with them sometimes five or six times a day, and. I'll hear the FaceTime signal go off. And the next thing I hear is just this uncontrollable laughter. They put on funny mask and, and FaceTime over here and try to scare Robin. And it's just, I, I think we may actually be communicating with them more now, <laughs> but it's just by FaceTime instead of in person. Cause usually they come over and spend the night on weekends and stuff like that. But Robin, uh, Avery, we have Avery who's 10 and London's who is eight and a half. And they were asking Robin, what can we do? What's what games can we play? And she came up with a great idea. She said, okay, I'm going to give you an idea. I think you should get, she said, I think you should get your parents to redo their wedding and you should throw the wedding this time. You weren't there for the first one. And (laughs) so she said, you should have a virtual wedding and set up chairs. And in every chair, you should put something that represents the people who aren't there. And you should pick what they wear, and bake the cake yourself, and do the decorations yourself, and have a whole wedding, and be the photographer. And they worked on it for a week. And this last Saturday, they had a wedding out in the backyard. And Jay and Erica played along and walked the aisle and they worked on this for a week. And I'll send you the copy of the video, John. It I'd love is absolutely to see it. unbelievable. It was just beautiful.
1: Well, you know, I spoke to Jay the other day, Jay, of course is, is Phil's son. And he was telling me how he so treasures the time he's spending with the kids now because he's not traveling and, and it's been a special gift. So I wonder how many of us can can learn from that, Phil, because, you know, I don't have any children here, but what a wonderful concept of having them put together a wedding or a puppet show or something that takes three or four days to do. So it's a long-term, it gives somebody something to look forward to, and and what a great time for them to spend together doing that. So they've
0: had a ball, and I I know that probably it gets a little chaotic at times, but uh, they've sure had fun doing it, and we've had fun hearing from them. So it's. and I, I said the other day, I was a little embarrassed, but Robin and I are such homebodies. We hadn't really noticed the shelter at home
1: rule yet because we don't really <laughs> go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so do you miss going out to dinner and restaurants? Because and, and, I know you do that on occasion, certainly.
0: We we like to go. We have favorite places we go. And we don't go out all that much, but when we go, we go big. We mm-hmm. like go to New York or Vegas or somewhere. Okay. And we miss that. And um I, I, I really do, but I, I do enjoy being at home. And frankly, since we got shut down, I've been busier than I was when we had a routine and shooting, um, I've been doing eight, 10 interviews a day, plus shows and stuff. And so I, I've been, I've been busy and it doesn't seem like we're shut down, I, yeah. There are people that can't work from home. They they have jobs. Maybe they work in a factory or they work in some kind of retail situation where they they can't work at home. And that's got to be so frustrating for people that can't actually do their job from home. And so they are on hold. And I know that's terrible for them. Fortunately, I can bring a camera in here and do this from home. So I'm fortunate in that regard. And I, I really feel for those that can't do that. They have to be at a location to do their job.
1: Yeah, me too. You know, we, we, we do videos for people who send us notes. Can you do me a video for a birthday and things like that? And, and uh, we set up a little studio here. Same thing with me, Phil. We've been doing interviews since five in the morning, but at least we're still <clears throat> working. We're still communicating. We have a purpose every day. I know that yeah. I have a schedule tomorrow to look forward to. I'm not idle. It would it would be unbearable to me to think that I would be incapable to do anything related to my job from home.
0: Yeah, I, I walked in here today, and the background behind me was different. It had Robin's logo for from her podcast. I've got a secret up behind me, and she was interviewing uh, Camilla McConaughey, Matthew's wife from Austin, where it was ninety plus degrees, and. She's buzzing along doing what she does. And then I'm in here doing something different. So we're just kind of rotating in and out and busy as we can be. So we're very blessed in that regard. Phil, what would
1: you say is, is the, uh, um, and I know this is, this is a tough question. What is a single <clears throat> point of advice that you would give someone? And I know people say, hang in there. It's going to be less. It's going to be longer. Prepare yourself in one sentence or two sentences. <clears throat> what would be the, the ultimate message that we each need to embrace to get through this?
0: we are not helpless. What really makes people stressed is when they feel like there's something bad looming or happening, and there's nothing they can do about it. And so the one sentence I would say is, recognize you are not helpless. Um, But Dr. Fry in England did a study recently in 2018 where they were studying pandemics. And honestly, the number of people infected went from 42 million to 21 million just by having people wash their hands five to 10 times a day, cut it absolutely in half. We're not helpless by social distancing, by doing this isolation By washing our hands, by cleaning our surfaces, by doing the things that are necessary, we're not helpless. We can turn this around. So don't think you're helpless just waiting for lightning to strike. You are the master of your destiny. You can make this happen. Don't shut down this podcast. John Taffer will be right back.
1: been working these past few weeks as many people are focused on the pandemic i've been focused on what is the reset of america how do restaurants reopen how do bars casinos all of this and i've been focused on what i call lbe which is location-based entertainment movie theaters bowling centers broadway all those types of venues and when i try to look forward and say okay how do we reopen I'm here in Las Vegas, Phil, the Strip, and I've, I've been with you here in Las Vegas. These casinos don't even have locks on the doors. They never contemplated locking them up or closing them Right. Anymore. So everything is boarded <clears throat> up. These are the largest hotels in the world. And everything is boarded up. The driveways are closed off. Nobody can get in there. And now we have to think about how do we reopen? And we look at a city like Las Vegas that lives on tourism, or a local restaurant anywhere in the country. And I think to myself, and and I'd love for you to, to disagree with me, but I here's what I think: I think that social distancing becomes more of a sociological thing, and I think it doesn't go away real quickly. So I'm guessing that people are not going to sit shoulder to shoulder with strangers for a while. Is that a pretty fair assessment?
0: I think it is, and I was going to ask you. Let's say let's let's fast forward to. I don't know. Let's pick a date. May 31st. Let's and it's not going to happen this way, but let's just hypothetically, mm-hmm. let's say May 31st there's a national cancellation of shelter at home. Gates are open. They say go back to work, go back to your lives. This is migrated to the southern hemisphere which is now in winter and this is not considered to be at a pandemic level, here, so we can get back to life before Corona. So go back to it. Do you, John, think people are going to really go back full speed to their lives? Or do you predict that they will kind of tiptoe and put their toe in the water and ease back into this with a little nervousness and paranoia? Or do you think they'll? run headlong back into their lives
1: you know i think it's somewhat of the demographic answer i think the young people might be quicker to run back into it whereas people over over 45 might not here's what we've been looking at phil we think that restaurants are going to have to provide greater spacing just like supermarkets now have spacing set up they're making aisles one way so you don't bump into somebody in an aisle these are little Mm -hmm. operational shifts that are happening in business so i think that restaurants are going to have to remove a few tables i can't imagine a movie theater filling an entire row of strangers i'm guessing they're going to have to create some type of a spacing as we ease into it phil and i guess we'll add a table in a month or two and add another table but here's what worries me when i look at all of these business venues, whether it's nightclubs, restaurants, bars, movie theaters, whatever, and I say, okay, there is likely gonna be a capacity change going forward within the four walls of these businesses. So if I had 100 seats, let's say now I have 70 seats or 60 seats, when I look at different floor plans, Phil, I see the physical reduction to be sometimes up to 60% to create the aisle space and the spreading. So I now have 60- How does that work in a business plan? How do they they survive with that? That's what worries me, Phil. So if you take a look at a 100-seat restaurant, and let's say they would do 100 covers during lunch, now they only have 70 seats. They can't do 100 covers in an hour anymore. So they have to now do an early bird lunch special, a late bird lunch special. They have to create that same amount of business over a longer period of time if they can. But that impacts labor costs, Phil. That changes the whole model. You know, and then I saw something on social media the other day that, that, that I'm curious to hear your comment on. It was a photograph of a cook in a restaurant in a commercial kitchen, and he's laying a noodle into a lasagna pan. And the post is, our famous lasagna will be available for pickup at five o'clock today. But the guy was wearing street clothes. He wasn't wearing a hat. He wasn't wearing mm-hmm. a mask. All he had on was gloves. I think that has to change. I think that we're going to see kitchens that look a little more like operating rooms, Phil. I think we're not going to see hats from home. We're going to see hats issued in the kitchen every shift. I think we're going Mm -hmm. to be chef coats and things like that issued every shift so street clothes don't come in and out of the kitchen. I think these kind of operational changes are important. And when I look at the difference in, in capacity, it scares the hell out of me, Phil. And then I look at delivery services, and that's not the answer. I can't do 100 deliveries in an hour. I can, I can serve 100 people in a restaurant. So that terrifies me, this premise of spread. The other thing that, that is really uh, 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 very concerning to me when we look forward in the industry is you know the impact on labor, of course. So I can't have servers deliver food anymore, Phil, because they touched money. They touched bust products. I can't have them wash their hands a hundred times. Now I need, I believe, designated food runners that are dressed in white and have white gloves and all they do is touch food. So now we have to operate differently. But what I was really thinking about, Phil, and I'd love your feeling on this, I think that restaurants and bars and these types of venues now can't sell what they do. Going forward, they have to sell how they do it. And I think that's a big shift in business. I think, Phil, if you and I went out for a hamburger tomorrow, I don't think we'd go out to the place that necessarily had the best burger. I think we'd go out to the place that we trusted the most. And that changes the whole business dynamic, doesn't it?
0: I I think you're right. And I've always been one of those guys that when I get on an airplane, get on an airliner, I look left before I turn right. I want to see the pilot (laughs) I want to look this man or woman in the eyes and see what kind of night they had before we take off. People get on and just blindly trust. I've never been that guy. I seriously want to look the pilot over before I get on the airplane. uh, Because being a pilot, I know you can have a bad day. And I, I really, it's, I don't blind trust people. And I don't, I think you're exactly right. I think people are not going to, blindly trust food preparers. And I don't think they're going to blindly trust doctor's offices, dentist offices. I think they're going to look for those that go the extra mile to protect them. And and in the same breath, I, I have to say this. I think the reaction to this virus, the fear, the anxiety, the paralysis that it has caused is a huge overreaction to the actual threat now having said that i totally support following all of the guidelines of the cdc we have been in isolation we are uh, observing the shelter at home rules we respect social isolation I, i go along with every bit of it but the fear is disproportionate to the actual threat 85% of the people that contract this virus are going to have no symptoms or mild or moderate symptoms. 15% of the people are going to perhaps require hospitalization, and a small percent, we don't know what that percent is, are tragically going to lose their lives. And those are going to mostly be people that had an underlying condition, COPD, asthma, something that probably is most likely respiratory because this is a respiratory virus. So the fact of the matter is you've got people that are absolutely paralyzed when they have an 85% chance chance of having no symptoms or mild or moderate symptoms. And it appears right now that about 25% of all people that get this have no symptoms at all, which makes this spread so fast because you can't spot the
1: carriers. And you don't know you're sick yourself. That's right so looking again at the future of the industry when we look at the spreading and the economic model obviously it's, it's something that terrifies me being a hospitality person and then i think about going to a hotel in las vegas phil and getting in a small elevator and going up 30 floors you know that elevator now has to be sole use so there needs to be a whole different way to operate and i think that and here's the positive side of me phil you know i'm a pretty optimistic guy in weeks when this ends, and it's gone, of course at some point, we're gonna to start to go back to hopefully what is a reasonably normal life. That's when the greatest marketers in the world are gonna figure this out. The greatest operators in the world are gonna figure this out. The way we communicate with people is gonna change. It's gonna be about businesses building trust. For example, I'm building my Taffer's Tavern franchise in Atlanta, we opened now in July, we're still on schedule. We're putting kit- cameras in the kitchen, Phil, that are online. It's a transparency trust showing people the way we do it to build trust in the consumer i think that's going to be the biggest marketing credo as we go forward is what companies build trust and what companies don't and i think when we come out of this the companies that build the most trust are the ones that are going to succeed and you know more about that than anyone you taught me a btb years ago (laughs) <laughs> which is right. which is beneath the brand and stepping beneath those brands and those companies that step up and really prove through transparency that they can be trusted are the ones that are going to succeed. Do you agree with that whole marketing premise?
0: I do agree with it, and I think that not only are people going to have to do it, I think they're going to have to sell it. I, I think you're exactly right. I think if you went in addition to marketing your your, your product, part of the brand is going to have to be, we get it. We understand what's important to you. You know, I, I, I study this a a lot and, and you're the expert at this. And I, I want to hear you explain it some more, but when you, when you look at say McDonald's ads, for example. I don't think people realize how little time they focus on food and how much time they focus on family, togetherness, happiness, acceptance, and joy. They're selling a lifestyle. People's number one need in life is acceptance. Their number one fear is rejection. McDonald's is selling acceptance. You look at a McDonald's ad; they're bright colors. People are in red and white an awful lot in their colors, uh, and they're sitting in the restaurant inside. They're all happy. They're big smiles. They're waving at each other. I mean, it's just like uh, everybody wants. You want to go where everybody knows your name. It just looks like a joyous place to be. And then there's a hamburger they're passing over the counter but the focus the brand is about happiness joy and family and i think what's going to have to be added to that is what you're saying is we get that you are now sensitized to being infected with something that is invisible and we're showing you that we're sterile i think that's going to be a big part of that brand
1: i think it is too And I think the companies that are stepping up and moving in that direction are the ones that are gonna come out of this the best. And it's interesting to watch how some companies are embracing it. We're starting to see those commercials on TV and such with the CEO of the company is showing and they're showing imagery. But you know, I think the big word as we come out of this, whether it's in the medical world, the the consumer world is gonna be trust, trust. And it's also trusting of each other. So I'm calling it resetting America folks, I don't think it's restarting America. I think it's a reset. And I think the way we treat each other, the way we treat consumers, <clears throat> the way consumers treat businesses, the whole premise of loyalty—all of these things are going to change now as we go in through this reset. Does that phrase work for you? Or do, you do do you find it does that- work for me? Because I've I've been
0: saying, and I don't know why people don't get this or embrace this, but I believe that the mental, emotional, social. economic impact of this pandemic is going to take a greater toll in quality health and actual death count than the virus itself and people are you're going to have more mental illness more depression anxiety ptsd suicide you're going to have more lives that are impacted by that than the virus itself because the reaction has been disproportionate to the threat. And so as as we go back out into the world, you're going to have to reset it by recognizing the fact that people have really changed mentally and emotionally, and they're going to have needs that have to be met. And if you don't acknowledge those needs and ignore them, you're not going to get those people trusting you and going and doing business with you again. And I I think that's just a big thing that hasn't been acknowledged by most people right now.
1: I'm actually a little excited in a positive way about how this ends Phil. I'm excited about the prospect of coming up with ways to market, ways to build confidence, ways to do this. I don't see that excitement with a lot of other business people. I think you're right. I think the fear is so overcome people that they're paralyzed. And, and you know that I think that cause we're paralyzed, we're not looking forward to anything meaningful. And I find for myself that one of the ways I get through this is by knowing that there's something on the other side that I'm working towards something every day.
0: Well, that's exactly right. And my focus has shifted at this point to our relaunch, because these people are going to have to walk out their front doors and back into their lives. And so my focus has been for the last 10 days, uh, amassing a, a protocol, a strategy for helping people not be intimidated by life and get out there and seize the opportunity. Because those who get ready to do that, I was telling, I I did a presentation to the CBS executives the other day that were saying, you know, we need to be ready. What do we do? And, you know, the, the metaphor I use for them is let me tell you, when that pace car pulls off the track, you need to be at full speed. You don't need to be looking for your keys. That pace car is going to pull off the track soon. And if you want to be successful, you need to be at full speed. When that pace car pulls off the track full speed by understanding what your viewers need, understanding what your workforce needs, understanding where they are mentally and emotionally, because if you're going to succeed, you have to meet people where they are. Do not ask them to meet you where you are, meet them where they are. And what you're talking about with transparency and trust is acknowledging that you've got to meet people where they are and they are in a different place than they were six weeks ago.
1: When and, and, and I'm not sure this is a fair question. If it isn't, just tell me so. When do you think this ends? Do you think it runs a long time? Do you think it's weeks? Do you think we ease back to normalcy? Do, do, do you think this runs for another year, year and a half? I've been looking at the antibiotic, the uh, uh, antibody treatments, and I know they just did an injection earlier today, one of the first human injections. And Is there anything that you're hanging your hat on that you think might be an, an, an opportunity for us to get out of this?
0: Well, there, yes. First off, um, I think the models have been pessimistic, Um, and I think that America. I think people. I think the models have underestimated the the American spirit. I think that what people have done. Now we've got what, you know, I've referred to them as COVIDians. These. idiots that are out there just going to spring break going to do all the things that they just want to do because they're too immature to recognize the need for success Uh, and the sacrifice that it takes to get success and there are just some people that are so immature they want what they want when they want it and they want it right now they don't understand delayed gratification and so they're just pretending nothing's going on well there is something going on and but I think overall Americans have really stepped up and shown what they, what they're made of and performed way beyond what the models expected. So I don't think we're going to have a million dead. I don't think we're going to have 250,000 dead. I mean, I don't think we've hit the peak yet, but you know, right now, um, As of this day and this hour, uh, we've got 14,779 dead uh, and 434,000 cases. Uh, Now, the problem is we don't really know how many cases there are because, as I said, of those that have been identified, about 25% have no symptoms. And another 50% have mild or moderate symptoms. So probably three or four cases for every one that has been tested and identified never got tested and identified. I think this is much more widespread than people know because they just never presented themselves and got tested because they just got sick a little while and got over it and went back to their life. I think this is more widespread than people think.
1: There's probably people listening right now that might have actually had it and don't even know it.
0: Exactly right. And I think that this convalescent serum, which we're talking about here with the antibodies and all that has been used in the past, I think is going to help. I don't think it's going to take 18 months to two years to get a vaccine because I think we have got a lot of really smart people uh, getting behind getting a vaccine for this. I think it's going to be fast tracked uh, and not go through normal channels. And I think everybody recognizes that the second wave of this, which is going to start in October and November can be really devastating if we don't get ready for it. When we had the Spanish flu epidemic in 1918, uh, there were more people killed from that epidemic, that pandemic, than were killed in World War One, and most of them were in the second wave. They didn't have the technology that we have today, and I think we're going to be better prepared to fight that second wave than they were back then. So I think this is going to end uh, probably towards the end of May. I think we're going to start seeing it plateau out sooner than that. And towards the end of May, I think we're going to start seeing an identification with antibody testing. They're going to start identifying people that have had it, gotten over it, therefore therefore are immune, and they're going to start putting them back into the workplace and allowing businesses to start reopening, being run by people that have already had it and are therefore immune from it. Now, we don't know if they're immune for life or for a year or two years, we don't know that, but but the prediction is that they're immune from it now. And I think you're going to start seeing them trickling back into the workforce and businesses reopening on a, a step-by-step basis rather than in a, as a complete wave. And I think that's going to start happening very soon. So
1: today I was, and you'll find this interesting. I did a, a, a radio show this morning and I was, um, It's funny, my gardeners are outside blowing in my house, so I couldn't do the show, I had to go in a garage and sit in my car (laughs) to do the radio show. And I'm sitting in my car and I'm listening to the segment before the segment that I'm doing, Phil. And it was a futurist, a computer futurist, And this gentleman was excited, saying, I am excited about distant learning from school. We're creating all the new software programs and we're gonna be able to monitor children's screen time when they're learning and we are really excited about this. And he's talking about it like it's the greatest thing in the world. And then he goes on to say, and universities, we're so excited about distant learning from universities and we're putting together all the software and the screen time programs and this and that. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, are we going to be tracking children by screen time rather than play time? (laughs) And, and he was so positive, excited about this. And when I started the interview, they asked me about bar rescue and other things. And I started the interview by saying, I got to tell you, I was listening to the guy before me and what he's excited about horrifies me. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, is there any way that this is good when we start to and you're talking about loneliness earlier? Is there any way that that distancing and education in universities is going to be good for our children? But well, you know
0: what worries me is the step before that, John, and that is electronic babysitting. I mean, if we get to the point that kids are so controlled by devices, video games, iPads and all, it's awfully easy to default to that where you're a parent and it's like, well, he's awfully convenient when he's over there with that device in his hand. So it's awfully easy to just let him do that. And then he's not developing social skills. He's not developing his or her muscles and reflexes and stuff by interacting with others, playing out in the yard. It's awful easy to let the television or the computer, the video game or whatever, occupy the child. And while they're not while they're doing that it's not it's not the problem with them doing that it's what they're not doing while they're doing that you know people are always asking me they have these violent video games I mean doesn't that make kids more prone to violence well sorry mom and dad the research just doesn't <laughs> support that I I know they wish it did, but kids that play violent video games are not more prone to violence in life. Sorry, I, I told that disappoints <laughs> you because it would be a great argument for taking them off of them. But the better <laughs> argument is what they're not doing while they're doing that, which is out developing a life. Yes.
1: So, so when, when I, I heard this, and, and I don't mean this in, in, in a literal sense, but I almost thought to myself, this digital world is sort of an enemy to the premise of socialization and growing up in a proper way. And I was concerned that that here's a whole sector of industry that's fighting for our kids to be out of school when as a society we should be fighting to keep them in school.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, you can libraries are obsolete now, right? You you have a you have an iPad, a laptop, a typical laptop computer that you have right now has more power than we had when we did the moon landing it's
1: more like a telephone i think the moon landing computer was more like our phone
0: yes i i'm sure that uh iphone 11 probably has more computing power (laughs) than was used for the moon landing think about that is that is that scary
1: it is scary and then I don't want to get into AI discussion and all that. We'll save that for another day. But Phil, I want to thank you for your time today. You've really enlightened me. You know, <clears throat> be, Listening to you today is going to help me deal with this. And I hope it uh, helps other people deal with this. We will get back to close to normal at some point over time, Phil. And, you know, you're doing such important work. Would you tell everybody, you know, where you're posting and what you're doing? Is there a special uh, schedule to what you're doing now?
0: Well, I, before I will, but listen, you have said some very important things today for people to talk about and think about as they get back to a life that is going to be a product of reset. You've, you've talked, you've given people a strategy for how they can, you know, I said, it's important for people to feel like they're in control. I said, if they're helpless, they feel helpless. That is the most stressful thing of all. And you talking about transparency and trust and requiring vendors to meet that standard for them, I can tell you that is going to make people feel that they have some power in controlling their life post pandemic. And just you articulating that, I, I think people are gonna go, that's right. I have the right to require that. And I I so appreciate you saying that and talking about it. And I learned something every time I talk to John Taffer. Every time <laughs> I talk to you, I learned something, and I did today, and that's a great thing that you were talking about. So thank you for talking about that. Oh, thank you,
1: Phil. So, so people, are, are, I'm sure, mm-hmm. want to continue to to watch what you're doing, and some of my audience, you know, isn't your audience. So I want to make sure that they have an opportunity to participate. Are you doing things now on social on a schedule? Well, every day of the week
0: um, at eleven o'clock. Uh, Eastern or Pacific time. Uh, Every day at 11 o'clock Pacific Daylight Time, California time, I'm going on FaceTime, Instagram, and YouTube simultaneously and talking about what has happened overnight, where we are right now, and talking about how to start cultivating resilience to get back to your life coping with what you're doing now, and how to start preparing yourself to get back to your life uh, as this winds down and your life starts coming back online. So I'm doing that uh, Monday through Friday at 11 o'clock. And then I am continuing to do uh, new episodes of Dr. Phil right here from my house. Doesn't look as pretty, don't have the fancy graphics, you know, don't have the big studio and all. There's but still a story you, to tell, but it's the same message. And you know, John, when the writer strike happened, I don't know, 15 years ago, it was the birth of reality television because they had to fill the time with something that didn't require writers. And that was the birth of reality television. I'm wondering now with this pandemic and I have done probably 12 shows shot on an iPhone national television shows broadcast coast to coast shot on an iPhone. I'm wondering how much all of this is going to revolutionize the way we broadcast television. Yeah, you know, uh, 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 the, other,
1: the other day, uh, uh, iHeart radio did it last week on Fox. They did a concert online and the musicians were each in their house, Phil, And a singer was in their house and they were playing together and it was darn good. I don't know if you got a chance to see it. It was a heck of a production.
0: And, And they're doing it simultaneously from multiple locations and it all gets mixed and come out. It comes out and it's pretty good.
1: Yeah, it was really pretty good. And at a time like this, it's great to see everybody stepping up and doing it. And the this. fact Listen, that buddy, you
0: and I can talk right now in different cities, and we're looking at each other and talking like we're in the same room. But it's easier for us because you and I are friends and we know each other.
1: Yeah, we do. and And in that light, you've been a wonderful friend to me all these years, Phil. You know, I love you. And. And Jay and I, Phil's son, are, are business partners. We have a wonderful relationship together. And, and uh, you have made my life better, Phil.
0: As you and have mine and, and as you have Jay's. So uh, good things to come. John, thanks for having me on tonight.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for being here, Phil. I look forward to talking soon, my friend. See you soon. Wow. Well, Phil taught me a lot. One, I understand that the social distancing and everything was appropriate. But the fear that we're feeling in our brains is not appropriate. The fact of the matter is we're not out of control. We can control this to some way. The second thing I learned from Phil is this is probably gonna end in a few weeks and it's probably gonna move to the Southern Hemisphere. That's good news. Also Phil thinks we're gonna get a vaccine sooner rather than later, I agree with that as well. So there is some good in this, isn't there? We've learned avoid loneliness, communicate with people. Step out to some of your neighbors, I don't mean outside, I mean step up to some of your neighbors on the phone through digital communications. Even knock on the door and then step back and open the door. But we have to do things that keep us socially engaged. And don't think for a minute that being on a computer and looking at computer programs rather than people is engagement, it's not. Even on a computer we can look in people's eyes. Phil taught us today that loneliness is physically dangerous. We can't be lonely at this time. Reach out to our friends, talk to people, talk to family, keep yourself busy, focus on the reset. What are you gonna do in a few weeks when this ends? What are you gonna change in your workplace? What are you gonna change in your company? What are you gonna change in your communications? We have to change with this. There's good news in this interview today. I see that it's shorter than I thought it might be. There's a chance that we can get out of this all and I need to focus on resetting myself and my businesses for this new economy and those who do are gonna win. So I wanna leave you with a positive thought. When this ends in a few short weeks, marketing people are gonna have the greatest opportunity to market, communicate, and build brands. Operations people are gonna have the greatest opportunities to build trust, show transparency, and make people trust and believe in the way we operate. And not only that, we're gonna have to motivate people in all different ways. When this ends, it's time for us to step up, and I want you to step up with us. So we're gonna be resetting in America in a few weeks. Phil gave me a lot of knowledge to how to do it. Now let's go deal with time. Let's reset and let's get ready for this. And I'll see you next week. Subscribe to the John Tapper podcast right now for more episodes
0: every Thursday.